Thank you, and it's hard to realize that we've been in this series now for over a month. If you're just jumping in for the first time today, welcome. Really the big idea of this series is that all of us are facing a plan B reality in some area of our life. Things aren't exactly the way we hoped they would be. We're in a circumstance we didn't choose, and yet we can find God's hope, we can find God's provision, we can see how his sovereign hand continues to guide us, um, even in the midst of our plan B reality. And the guy we've been looking at in God's word to kind of guide us through this is a guy named Joseph. 14 chapters are given to his life in the book of Genesis. So if you've missed any of the messages, I would encourage you to go back and watch those. Uh, We don't just teach in sermons, we teach in series. And so they kind of pick up one week where the one left off the previous. The title of today's message is really a pivotal point in this entire plan B process. And that is simply this, offering forgiveness in plan B. Way back in week one, we made the point that we never get to plan B on our own. Other people have contributed to it. People have done things to us. In Joseph's situation, it was a very overt act. His brothers sold him into slavery at the age of 17. This would set into motion a chain of events where the next 13 years of his life would be spent in a plan B reality. And yet one of the things we've seen throughout this series is that God's purposes were still being fulfilled. That none of this caught God off guard and God was in fact enacting the great plan that he had in Joseph's life. But If you're Joseph, your brothers are kind of the ones that started this whole thing. I mean, they're the ones that placed you in this situation. And yet the way that he handles that, the way that he offers them forgiveness is important for us to see. And then more importantly, it's important for us to see what God would have us to do as well. So let me just say this up top. Today's message is difficult. It's challenging. It's painful. We're going to see what God's word has to say. I hope to encourage you with that. But in no way do I want to suggest somehow that this idea of forgiveness is actually easy. So let's see what God's word has to say. We'll start working our way through it and then see some practical implications for us today. So I'm going to be in Genesis chapter 45. It's kind of a longer passage as we see the account of Joseph encountering his brothers all these years later, nine years into a new job, two years into a famine. Egypt has food. His brothers have arrived to pick up the food. They meet Joseph. They're surprised. Let's see what it says. Starting in verse 1 of Genesis 45. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. I bet, can you imagine? Verse four. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now don't be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me there because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land and for the next five, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph said. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you 
have. His brothers do this. They go get his father, Jacob. And as we talked about a few weeks ago, Joseph will live to the age of 110. He will get to spend, Jacob rather, will get to spend the latter years of his life reunited with his son. It's a remarkable story. This is a pivotal point in the story. And how Joseph chooses to handle this situation is important for us to see. And we're gonna talk about what this means for us and we're gonna get really practical because there's some things that happen in the story if we pay attention to the details that give us insight into why Joseph was so quick to offer forgiveness. But before we get to all that, I just wanna address three obstacles to forgiveness. So like if you struggle with forgiveness, here's the word for that, normal, okay? You're all right, take a deep breath. God's not upset with you. He's not angry with you. But ultimately, not offering forgiveness is going to harm you, not the person that you're not offering the forgiveness to. But just to make sure we're all on the same page and encourage each other, there's some common obstacles to forgiveness. I'm gonna give you three. Here's the first one, timing. It just may not feel like it's the right time. Now, we make it sound a lot more spiritual. We say things like, when God gives me a piece about it, I'll forgive them, right? Or once I sense God speak to me. But see, the problem with that is God's already spoken. It's in his word. Tells us we're supposed to forgive. And so it's an obstacle. We just don't need to let it turn into an excuse. Let me give you the second kind of obstacle. It's not an exhaustive list, but these are just three common ones. The fear of perception. Someone's done something to you. If you forgive them, how is that going to make you look? Maybe you've got some common friends and they know what this person did to you. And and if you forgive them, it can be easy to feel like that everyone's gonna think you're a doormat and, and people can just run all over you. And sometimes people have done something directly to you to place you in plan B. This was Joseph's case. It was his brother's. And listen, I don't wanna make light of this. Some of you have had people do horrific things to you, abuse you, things that have literally altered everything about your life. And the idea that you would forgive that person, how is that going to be perceived with others, with yourself? And then there's some of us, it's not a direct action, it's more the indirect effect or consequences of other people's decisions that have landed us in plan B. Regardless of how you got there, The people who contributed to it, if you forgive them, what's that gonna say about you? This can be an obstacle to forgiveness. And then the third one, this is my obstacle to forgiveness, is that he or she should initiate it. Now, I'm a preacher. I know what the Bible says. I know I'm supposed to forgive. I just want the other person to go first. I just want them to admit that they did something wrong, okay? So every now and then, my wife and I argue. Can y'all believe that? Now, we're really spiritual, and we've figured out how to make all of y'all think we're so godly. So what we do is we don't argue. We have intense fellowship, right? That's what we do, okay? It's intense fellowship, right? And sometimes when we have some intense fellowship, and we've had to go to separate rooms, y'all do that absolutely to the glory of God. We do that, right? I will be in that separate room, and I will just be thinking to myself, shouldn't have said that. That wasn't right. Kind of messed up but she used some of her words too, right? (laughs) And I just want her to come in and initiate this. I've even asked God to convict her of that before. Never answered that prayer, right? (laughs) Not a good prayer to pray. But when I say, hey God, what did I do in this situation? He is very faithful to answer that prayer. And then say, you initiate it. You be the one to offer forgiveness 
first. You be the one to claim what you did wrong first. Listen, don't wait for somebody else to initiate forgiveness. As Christ followers, this is hard, we actually are not given the option of our obedience being subsequent to someone else's actions. We just have to be obedient. But if you struggle with these obstacles, take a deep breath, it's normal, you're okay. But there has to get a point for all of us where we start to push through these things. And what I want us to see for the rest of our time together is what we can learn about forgiveness from the story of Joseph. And one of the things I've said over and over in the series is while we're studying the story of Joseph, this really is actually the story of God. We're not studying this to learn about Joseph. We're studying this so that we can learn some things about God through Joseph. And so I wanna give you three very practical things that we learn about what it means to actually move through this and offer forgiveness when it comes to the people who have placed ourselves in plan B. So here's the first thing, story of Joseph, story of God. What does it teach us about forgiveness? It's always a deliberate choice. It's always a deliberate choice. Think of it this way. If there was a big idea for the message today, it would simply be this. You can't move on from plan B until you forgive the person who put you there. And, and you're never just gonna accidentally do that. You're never just gonna wander your way into that. It's gotta be intentional, it's gotta be deliberate. So let's go back to our story. Joseph encounters his brothers, and in real time, he forgives them. And we may say, how on earth was he able to offer forgiveness so quickly? And the answer is because he wasn't making that decision in real time. We read from Genesis 45. Let me take you back a few chapters and show you a verse where Joseph made a deliberate choice to forgive his brothers. Genesis 41, verse 51. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh, and he said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. When Joseph has a son, he literally names him Manasseh, which means to forget. God has made me forget. And in the Hebrew, this word used here carries with it the connotation of forgiveness. In fact, this is where we wrongly sometimes interpret the phrase that we are supposed to, or the verse that we are supposed to, forgive and forget. You ever heard that before? You're supposed to forgive and forget. That's nowhere in the Bible. Some of y'all want to applause, but you don't know if you can, right? Okay, that's nowhere in the Bible. Like you don't have to forgive and forget. But these words are used interchangeably in the Old Testament so it can be confusing. So, so what's happening here? When Joseph says that I'm gonna forget, God has made me forget, what he is saying isn't that he doesn't remember what happened. What he's saying is he's not gonna hold this against his brothers anymore. When we're reading God's word and it says that God forgives our sins and remembers them no more. It doesn't mean that God doesn't remember what you did. Someone told me one time when I was like a teenager, he said, hey, you know that when you confess a sin, God forgets it as if it never happened. And they meant well and their intentions were well, but, but that's kind of false information because see, if every time we confess our sins and every time you read about sin in the Bible, if God forgets that when he forgives it, then we've got some problems because we know parts of the Bible God doesn't. It's like we're talking about David and Bathsheba. God's like, doesn't ring a bell. Never heard of it, right? So that, you know, <laughs> doesn't work that way. It just means that he's no longer holding the responsible parties responsible for their actions. This is good news for you. So when you sin, God doesn't hold your sin against you. He has already held your sin against his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross, okay? So we've gotta begin to figure out what do we then do with this? 
How do we follow Joseph's lead? How do we deliberately choose to forgive? Well, the first thing we have to recognize is it doesn't mean that you forget the events of what happened. That matters when it comes to reconciliation. Sometimes an obstacle or a barrier to forgiveness can be that we think that when we forgive, we've just gotta pick things back up like nothing ever happened. We've gotta reconcile the relationship, maybe, maybe. Reconciliation is a completely different subject matter than forgiveness. Think of it this way. Forgiveness is up to you. Reconciliation is up to them. See, reconciliation can only occur when there's a change in behavior from the other party. If you try to reconcile a relationship with somebody and they're not changing their behavior, you might actually be putting you or people you love in harm's way, okay? So they gotta use some wisdom there. It also, when it comes to deliberately making a choice, we gotta make sure we understand this. Sometimes you have the opportunity to forgive someone in person. This happened for Joseph. His brothers show up, he tells them that he has forgiven them. We see he had already made the choice to forgive them, now he's able to tell them. But nowhere in the account do we see Joseph going back to Potiphar's wife and forgiving her. That woman's trouble, okay? If you missed the story, she kinda wanted to, well there's kids in the room, so anyway, y'all let you figure it out, all right? And then she accused him of, I'll kinda let you fill in the blank, all right? So he does not go back to her and forgive her. Why? She's trouble, she's toxic. And for some of you, you gotta see the difference. There are some people who have done some things to you that put you in plan B. You need to forgive them, but you sure don't need to go back and tell them. Because they're so toxic. Oh yeah, you can cheer, go ahead. Cheer for toxic people, it's awesome, right? Amen. They're so toxic that they will twist it and somehow still try to make it your fault. Oh, let's have some fun for a second, all right? Did y'all know there's a verse in the New Testament that says don't take vengeance into your own hands, vengeance is the Lord's. Isn't that a fun verse? We think if I offer forgiveness, I'm letting them off the hook. Here's what God says, no, 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 you, you offer them forgiveness and let me handle them. But if you don't wanna offer forgiveness, it's like God is saying, okay, I'll let you handle it your way. See, our God is a God of justice. Our God is a God of vengeance. Our, our God has got your back. Now, here's where this gets real fun. Jesus comes right along and says, we're supposed to pray for our enemies. Come on, right? So we live in this tension. God says he's got our back. He says, I will see vengeance through on your behalf, and I still need you to pray for them too. Mm. This is challenging. See, this is why we need one another. See, if you, if you struggle with this and it's difficult with this, welcome to the team. God gave us each other. This is why brothers and sisters in Christ matter. Fellowship matters. Having someone else to lovingly encourage you through this matters. But at the end of the day, if you don't choose to offer forgiveness, you're the person who's suffering, not the person who's done something to you. It's always a deliberate choice. Let me give you the second kind of big idea, second principle, second point. What does this story teach us about forgiveness? Obeying God plus forgiving others equals understanding God's ways. It's a formula. Sometimes preachers say, I'm not trying to give you a formula. I am trying to give you a formula, okay? I'm giving you a formula that obeying God plus forgiving others equals understanding God's ways. We see this from Joseph. I think it's the biggest thing that we can take away from his life, that he starts to get it. He connects some dots. 
he starts to see what God is actually up to. So let me skip ahead to the end of the story. This is Genesis 50, kind of a really famous verse for this entire account. This is what Joseph says. And he kind of alluded to it in the passage we read earlier, but he says it a little bit more clearly here. Genesis 50, 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph looks at his brothers and says, what you intended to use to harm me. Some translations say what you intended for evil, God intended, God has used it for good. And church, that's our God. That's our God. Whatever somebody has done to you, listen to me, God can use it for good. The testimony of scripture is over and over, God just stepping into the middle of a mess and using it for good. 2,000 years of church history, do you know what people can attest to? Our God is a good God. And I walked through a difficult circumstance. The enemy was out to get me and somehow, supernaturally, God came through one more time and he took what was intended to harm me and he used it for good. For some of you, that's your story. Some people knocked you down, but you bounced back, didn't you? You got up, you kept going, and God took something that the enemy wanted to knock you off course, and you look back at it now, and you see how God used it for good. I mean, for Pete's sake, we got Romans 8, 28. God works together all things for good to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. This is why we worship God. We come in here and we say, hey, our God is bigger than anything that we face. There's nothing that our God can't do, we just sang about. This is our God. This is what our God does. He steps into our mess. He brings good. Here's my question. How did Joseph know that? We're in Genesis. It's the first book of the Bible. When Joseph says this to his brothers, hey, what you intended to use, what you intended to harm me, what the enemy intended to use to harm me, God intended it for good. When Joseph said this, the 10 commandments hadn't been given yet. I mean, we're really early in the story. It's a little, little, little Bible history here. So it's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. We're super early in the story. And, and Joseph didn't exactly have the best godly mentors. They're like, how could you say that? It's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, we put these guys up on a pedestal. I mean, we, were, we sing songs about them, like Father Abraham that you sang in VBS as a kid, right? So we think these guys must be awesome or we wouldn't be singing Father Abraham, Father Abraham. Father Abraham gave his wife away not once, but twice. Yeah, that wasn't in the song, was it, at VBS? No, <laughs> left that part out. Left that part out of Father Abraham. These guys weren't exactly the best role models. In fact, if you read through Genesis, here's what becomes really obvious. There's one hero in the story, his name's God. And he just keeps stepping into the messes that these guys make over and over. And yet somehow along comes Joseph and he verbalizes something that's true about God that no one else has said up until this point. And we know it's true about God because the rest of God's word impacts this truth. How did he do it? From his own experience. And in some supernatural way, what we can see is that walking with God through obedience, not perfection, but over and over in Joseph's life, he chose obedience. That walking with God through obedience and forgiving others, somehow in a supernatural way, allowed Joseph to begin to see what God was up to. And for many of us, we would love to see what God is up to in our lives. We would love to be able to connect the dots. It's not that we doubt God is, 
is doing things, we just, we just can't really clue into what he's up to. And, and see, this is challenging because scripture says God's ways are not our ways, but scripture doesn't say we can't learn his ways. If you wanna learn God's ways, follow this formula. Walk with obedience and forgive. Walk with obedience and forgive. And if you will do that consistently, you will still have problems. You will still face challenges. People will still do things to you. But you will have a greater Holy Spirit insight into what God is up to. But church, so many times we underestimate the forgiveness of others and the relational component and how that contributes to this. Look at what Jesus says about this. Kind of same idea, Matthew chapter five. Jesus says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. There could be no greater act of obedience in Jesus's day than offering a gift at the altar. And do you hear what Jesus is saying? He's literally saying, walk away from that act of obedience and go to the person. Especially for those of us who grew up in church, especially for those of us who maybe have walked with Jesus for a little while, we tend to swing the pendulum way to the obedient side when we don't think we're hearing clearly from God and we kind of ignore the relational side that Jesus is talking about here. So for example, you're in a plan B. Maybe it's been a tough season, tough year. Maybe you haven't exactly been walking with the Lord lately, okay? Sometimes when we recognize that, we immediately think, all right, I need to kind of get back on track. I need to start obeying. So what we'll do is we'll double our efforts towards obedience. We'll make a list. Now you may not write down the list, but we've all done it in our mind. We tell God things like, I'm gonna read my Bible every day. I'll start praying more. I need to go on a mission trip. I mean, I don't remember the last time I gave financially. We probably need to do that. And so we, we double up with all of our obedient things and we somehow think that doing all of that is going to give us greater insight into what God is up to in our life. And here's a phrase for that. It's called works-based righteousness. Well, we just keep trying to do all this stuff for God and think that somehow by doing all of that for God, now God's gonna keep it up his end of the deal and start letting us know what he's up to. But see, here's the problem with all that. For many of us, we get caught up in all of these external things that we're doing to please God and we're ignoring the broken relationships in our lives. And God says, stop. Jesus says, leave the altar. Enough. Go to the person. That's how much the relationships in our life matter to God. We studied 1 John this summer. What did we learn? How we love God can be seen by how we love one another. And if you are walking with God, am I trying to tell you to not be obedient? Of course not. If you're, if you're disobedient, you're just gonna bring in a whole lot of things in your life that you don't really need to go through. But the thought that that will somehow now get you closer to God while you're ignoring the broken relationships and not offering forgiveness is counter to God's word. So be challenged by that. Be broken over that. As much as it is up to you, offer forgiveness. Reconciliation, we'll see. We'll figure that one out down the road. But you offer forgiveness, why? Because God says so, but the benefit is you will begin to see more clearly what God is doing in your life. Let me give you the last kind of principle about this forgiveness. What do we see? Story of Joseph, story of God. That refusing to forgive, this is so big. Refusing to forgive is declaring that the cross was not enough. 
These are hard words that are true. Every now and then I'll run into somebody on a ball field or in the community and they find out I'm a preacher and you know, I've had people say before like, what, what do Christians really believe? I mean, 30, 40 years ago, there was kind of an understanding in our society of what Christians believed and now there's so many different things that are said. There's a lot of people who legit, they don't really know what we believe or they've heard versions of what we believe and maybe you're here today. You got invited for the child dedication and this isn't really your thing. We're glad you're here. You're kind of checking things out. You may wonder, what do y'all really believe? Maybe you're joining us online and you're like, I, I don't really know what Christians believe. I've, I've seen that they are, are involved in this or involved in that. Like, what do you really believe? I'm gonna take a few minutes and just tell you what we really believe. We believe there's a God who loves you. We believe God who loves you so much, he was not gonna let your sin get in the way of him loving you. You say, my sin, what do you mean? It feels like you're attacking me. You're a sinner, get over it. I'll just ask your wife, friends, kids, or anybody else. They will tell on you, okay? It's all right. We're all there. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, okay? But God's not gonna let that keep us from loving him. And this is where Christianity is different. It's the only belief system that doesn't then say, and here's all the things you now have to do for God to love you. Every other belief system is about what you do, how you behave, your level of commitment and devotion. Christianity says there's nothing that we could do to get to God, so he came to us. And he did so through a remarkable way, sending his son Jesus, who then lived a perfect life that matters. Because Jesus' death on the cross isn't sufficient unless he's a perfect sacrifice for sin. And he did that for you and he did that for me. That means that your sin has been paid for. Jesus said it is finished on the cross. Jesus then walked out of the tomb three days later. And that matters because that validates everything that he said. And if somebody claims to be God's son and then they're dead on the cross and then they're alive three days later, I'm on their team, okay? I've made that decision. But see, I didn't make that decision through blind faith. Maybe you've been told that's what you need to do. You just need to have faith. But see, our faith is founded in facts. There's a little book in the New Testament called 1 Corinthians. If you wanna go there later today, chapter 15, there's an account where Paul says over 500 people have seen Jesus alive after he walked out of the tomb. Most of them are still alive right now. You can go and talk to them because that letter was written about eight to 10 years post-resurrection. Paul's literally saying, hey, if you doubt my word, go on down and travel over there and you can talk to these people. They're alive. We have thousands and thousands and thousands of copies of 1 Corinthians written eight to 10 years post-resurrection. It's evidence unlike anything we have in history. In fact, there's more history for the evidence of the resurrection than the evidence of the life of Alexander the Great. And you were taught Alexander the Great in history as fact. Now, I don't doubt the existence of Alexander the Great, but here's what I'll tell you. It takes more faith to believe in him than to believe in the resurrection. See, we don't believe in Jesus, fairy tales, and unicorns. Our faith is founded in fact. So if anybody ever told you to have blind faith, that was an incorrect statement. But it is faith. It's by grace through faith that every person has to come to a place in his or her life where they recognize one of two things. Either one, I've done a whole lot of bad things in my life. I've hurt a lot of people. I've left a wake of broken relationships. I am not worthy of the love of God. And you recognize that you're not. And God still loves you. He came after you. He sacrificed his only son for you. 
that there's nothing you could ever do to get you outside of God's love. And see, there's some of you, your story is the exact opposite. You're actually a pretty decent person. You're a good moral person. In fact, in a moment of honesty, you're nicer than most Christians we all know. I said it. And you think, really? You're telling me that I actually need someone to save me? I've lived a pretty decent life. But see, if there was actually one good thing you could do to earn God's favor, Jesus wouldn't have had to come. You can't meet Jesus halfway. He paid the whole price for you. And all of us get to a place in our lives where we recognize our story fits one of those two descriptions. We have to recognize, I haven't done too many bad things to be outside of God's love, or we recognize there's no amount of good things I can do to earn God's love. And you will one day stand before God and he will ask you, why should I let you in to my home to be with me forever? And in that moment, you will only be able to give one of two answers. Either one, standing on your own merit, or two, claiming Jesus' perfection in your place. And scripture says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's not a question of whether or not you will confess Christ Jesus as Lord. It's a question of whether or not you will do that in this lifetime and get to spend an eternity with him or the worst thing I could ever imagine, having to bow the knee Confess Christ Jesus as Lord and that being the last thing you do before being separated from him from all eternity in a place the Bible calls hell. This matters. So if that's you, can I encourage you to ask Jesus to come into your life and save you? You don't have to understand anything else. You don't have to understand theology, the Bible, all of these religious things, do you know you're a sinner in need of a savior? And if you know that, and you know that Jesus paid the price for you, you can receive him as your personal Lord and savior. Your sin does not keep you from God. But can I tell you what else doesn't need to keep you from God? The sins that have been committed against you. the horrific things that people have done to you. Jesus's death on the cross was sufficient, not just for the sins we commit, but for the sins committed against us. And for some of you today, you need to be freed by that. That the forgiveness you offer towards someone who has sinned against you isn't because they deserve it. They don't deserve it. The forgiveness you offer is because that sin has been paid for. And the longer you carry around the weight of that sin, you're literally staring at the cross and saying, not enough for me. And you will continue to live in bondage. And God doesn't want that for you. The cross is sufficient. Jesus' death is sufficient. And so we're gonna acknowledge that through communion. If you don't have the communion elements, someone on our team will bring them to you. But when we receive the bread, it's the reminder that Jesus's body was broken for us. That God literally allowed Jesus to become sin. That when Jesus hanging on the cross cried out, Father, why have you forsaken me? 
it was because God can't have anything to do with sin. But because God in that moment allowed his son to be sin, here's what that means. When we sin, God doesn't forsake us. See, the gospel isn't a one-time thing where you make a one-time decision. That's what establishes your relationship, but it has to be revisited every day because every day we mess up. Every day we keep sinning and every day we claim Jesus's broken body in our place. The book of Hebrews says that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And when Jesus allowed his blood to be shed on the cross, he could then rightly say it is finished. Your sins have been paid for. Your sin is not what keeps you from God. Your lack of belief in accepting Jesus as your savior will. So as we receive the cup today, I encourage you to be reminded of the free gift of salvation. And so God, we say thank you. Thank you for sending your son so that we could be reconciled to you. God, for those who are here in this room or for those who are joining us online who have never come to a place in their life where they have asked you to come into their life and save them, God, I pray in this moment right now they would do so. That they would just admit they're a sinner. And say, God, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. God, I believe that Jesus walked out of the tomb and he's alive today. And so the best way I know how, I'm gonna ask Jesus to come into my life and save me, to be the Lord and leader of my life. God, for those of us who made that decision previously and yet struggle with forgiveness and releasing people back to you who have harmed us, God, could you give us the grace to be obedient? to do what you've called us to. God, may we not try to obey in our own effort, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.